thank you very much indeed uh, to the band for leading us, and uh, really good to see you this morning. Imagine tomorrow morning switching on the television, and there is a picture of uh, Michelle Barnier, EU chief negotiator, standing on the steps of number 10 Downing Street, shaking hands with Boris Johnson. Surprise visit. Michelle Barnier says, uh, look, we want to be good neighbors. This has all got very tense, and we just want to say we want Britain to be strong. Strong Britain means strong Europe, and uh, whatever deal the UK Parliament comes up with, we'll accept it. The 39 billion deficit or divorce bill, we're wiping the state clean, it's gone. And uh, we just want to go along with whatever you in the UK want, because we want to be good neighbors to you. Do you reckon it's likely? Anyone holding out for that? It's one of those not-a-chance situations. We're, we're very familiar in our culture now with uh, UK-EU negotiations, and that scenario is not something we're expecting to happen tomorrow morning on the news. It's one of those not-a-chance scenarios. Well, in the midst of that teaching about prayer that Abby read for us, there's a little parable, which is one of those stories that is one that I imagine in the midst of Jesus telling the story, people listening would have said, not a chance, no way, that will never happen. It's a little story about a host who has a guest who comes to him at midnight. No, he has a guest who comes to him. He then goes at midnight and knocks on the door of a neighbor and says, could I have three loaves of bread? Could I borrow three loaves of bread? And the guy inside, the neighbor says, I'm in bed, door's locked, children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And at that point, those that Jesus would have said, no way, not a chance. Now, the reason is, that if we'd have told the story to those people 2,000 years ago about Michelle Barnier, they would have gone, who's Michelle Barnier? And we might wonder today, well, what's the big deal about uh, this little memorable story that Jesus tells? And quite often, Jesus tells stories about the kingdom of God that are either controversial or far-fetched so that we remember them. And this one is one of those far-fetched stories. But of the Good Samaritan, who's the hero of the story? A Samaritan, no way, not a chance, but it's memorable. Everyone would have gone away remembering. The culture at that time, and it's, it's a culture that we're not so far removed from, is one where the community, is, the community sense is so strong that when it comes to hospitality, it's a community matter, it's not a family matter. So I was talking to a gentleman after the first service uh, about a VE day, and they all had been saving up their various food and goodies. They put the, the chairs and tables on the streets. They brought their chairs and tables out, put the bunting up, and they all went out in the middle of the road, and they had a big party to celebrate VE day at the end of the Second World War. And uh, there was that sense of collegiality, community, and everyone just shared whatever they had. People didn't keep the stuff to themselves. Everything was just for sharing. Well, in the community that Jesus lived in, that would have been the case. Some, someone comes, a guest comes, and there's this very strong sense of the importance to be hospitable. 
You've got to put the very best before your guest. So what do you do? You send the children down to uh, Mr. Such-and-Such or Mrs. Such-and-Such to get the best goblets, the best cloth, the best jug, to get some olives, to get some bread. You basically gather everything you can to make the best spread possible for your guest who has arrived. Because the reputation, not just of your family, but the reputation of the entire community does this community have the ability to welcome a guest well and to exercise hospitality? Because as the Old Testament talks about, this could be the very angel of the Lord that you're showing hospitality to. This is extremely important that if a guest arrives, you do the very best you can to put everything you can in front of them. So Jesus says, imagine this scenario, because the, the context of a meal would be that um, Every guest, every adult would get a small batch loaf, and they would recline around a table, and in the middle of a table there were olives, and there were herbs, and there were dips and spices, and you would tear a bit off the loaf, you would dip it in the bread, and you would eat it. So the bread was not just the main part of the meal, the bread was also the knife, fork, and the spoon. So you had to have little batch loaves to give to all of your guests. That's why the man goes to his neighbor at midnight and says, can I borrow three loaves of bread? Also as well, he would have known where fresh bread was to be found because what happened was there was, as still is the case today in many places in the Middle East, there is a community oven, one oven in the midst of the village. Families bring their dough and they have a slot in the week and they bake their batches of bread as to do them for several days so everyone in the village knows who has fresh bread today. They know who's been down to the... They know who, who cooks on a Tuesday, who bakes on a Tuesday, who has fresh bread today. So the fact is the host knows exactly whose door to go to at midnight when the guest arrives. He knows whose house is filled with the smell of fresh bread. And he goes and knocks on the door, and he says, give me three loaves of bread. And the guy inside says, I'm not going to get up. And when he says that, there would have been ripples of horror. What? Because what's going to happen is if he doesn't get out of his bed, then the next morning he is going to be labeled for the rest of his life as a good-for-nothing, lazy so-and-so who has brought the good name of the village into disrepute. He's caused disgrace to the village. And in an honor grace culture of the Middle East, that's an extremely serious issue. He does not want his reputation and the reputation of his village to be dragged through the mud because for the rest of his days, he'll be known as the lazy so-and-so who didn't go out of his bed. The passage that we had read, that parable, there's been a debate for a lot of years about one little verse and what it means. And there's a word, that uh, Greek word, that is to do with shame and honor. And so the question is, is this verse to do with the uh, tenacious, bold audacity of the man who does the knocking on the door? Or does the miracle happen of generosity because actually the man inside wants to protect his good name and his reputation and not be shamed? And all the teaching in those verses are, are ones that talk about these two different themes. 
One is to do with persistence in prayer. And so later on, we have those uh, verses. Jesus says, because this is a, a, a series of teaching on Jesus all brought together in the one passage. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door will be opened. And so the theme that's being picked up there, reflecting back to the Lord's Prayer, reflecting back potentially into that little parable is ask and keep on asking. Be audacious. Be bold and just keep on asking. And so that fits in well to the overall theme. And it's a good theme. It's an important theme. And it's one picked up seven chapters later on when Jesus tells the parable that Luke records of the widow and the unjust judge. And the widow eventually wears down the unjust judge with her whining. And Jesus in that parable says, And will not God even more answer the cry of his people for justice? It's one of those compare and contrast. Jesus is saying, do you not think God would do, would that person do that? Yes. Do you not think God would do even more? And I think this parable is just one of those parables where the person who's the neighbor, Jesus wants us to think and compare with God. Do you think God would lie in his bed? Do you think he'd give excuses, the door is locked? Do you not think he'll get up and give you anything that you need? Do you not think he would be, do you think a neighbor will get up? Yes, well, God will get up too. And then the contrast bit where Jesus says, but this isn't the neighbor we're talking about. This is our heavenly father we're talking about. And so that's picked up at the teaching at the very end of this passage, which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you're evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so the NIV gives two possible translations to this. There's a Middle Eastern a scholar called Ken Bailey who translates the passage like this. Can you imagine having a friend and going to him at midnight and saying to him, friend, let me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I'm telling you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet for the sake of his honor, and so that his reputation won't be damaged, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So there's two main themes in this teaching. One is ask and keep on asking. Be bold, be bold, and just keep on asking. And the other one is this, be entirely confident whenever you ask. Why? Because we are good? No. Because of God's reputation. What, how, how can we know that God will always deliver? Because that's his nature. And we can be sure God's always going to reveal his nature. He doesn't want people to think that he's a God who doesn't love or is incapable. 
two, I suppose, really wonderful parts to this teaching about this receiving of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is teaching in this. At the start of the story, there are two empty and hungry people, the guest who's come on a journey and the host. At the end of the story, there are two filled people because not only has the guest received food from his, after his journey, but also the host is given all that he needs as well. And one of the things that Jesus wants to understand when it comes to the nature of the way God works, the nature of the kingdom of God is this. God loves to give into emptiness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a right relationship with God, because they will have their stomachs filled. They will be filled. Whatever they long for, in terms of the kingdom of God, they will receive it. They will be filled. The question is, do you and I feel filled or do you and I feel empty? I want to say to you today, if you feel empty, that's a good place to be. Because the kingdom of God belongs to those who are poor in spirit. The most dangerous thing to do in the Christian faith is to, is, is to believe that there's nothing more to receive. That without God, we are nothing, we have nothing, and we can do nothing. For you, I, I know sometimes for me, whenever you have that deep sense of emptiness, that deep sense of how on earth could I call myself a Christian? How on earth could I be someone who seeks to become more and more like Jesus Christ? How on earth could I do what I sense God is calling me to do? that sense of being totally empty. And actually, that's where breakthrough comes. That's where it all begins. That's what opens the floodgates of heaven. Whenever we recognize that without God, we are nothing, have nothing, and can do nothing. So if you ever, or if today, you sense, I, I just feel empty of what God has called me to do. I, I, I feel incapable. I want to say to you, hallelujah. Because that's where breakthrough comes. And the second thing is, it's really interesting the way Jesus tells this story. Because it's not about a man going to a neighbor and saying, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. It's about a man going to a neighbor and saying, there's someone else has come to me and they're hungry. Can you give me something so I can give it to them? Because Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this. Whenever you see need in someone else's life, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, loves to give you something to give to somebody else. That's the way the kingdom works. That's the way Jesus Christ lived his life. His whole life was going to the bread cupboard of the Father and saying, Father, these people are hungry and thirsty. 
can you give me something to give to them? The whole of Jesus' life was knocking on the door and saying, Father, you're the one who always has fresh bread. Your cupboards are always full. I believe that no matter how difficult the circumstances may, may seem, it may feel like midnight. The door may be locked. I may have to knock hard. I may have to call out. But the reality is I am always confident that no matter how grim the situation looks, I will always know there's a Father in heaven who is everything that is necessary to meet the needs of every situation on earth. I remember years ago hearing a, a minister, a Scottish minister called Kenny Bothwick telling a story about, he, at the time he was a minister on uh, Orkney Islands. And uh, he received a phone call that there was a, a youth group coming, quite a large youth group coming across to the island. And the chaplain who was meant to lead this youth weekend had fallen ill. And he was asked if he could lead this youth weekend. And uh, he, every bone in his body cried out, no, no, I, I just don't want to do it. But he, he sensed the Lord say to him, say yes. And so he found himself against all of his judgment saying yes. He put down the phone and he was filled with terror uh, about speaking to this large youth group. And as, as, the, uh, as the youth group got off the boat a, num a number of days later, he, he felt the same again. He felt just this abject terror in seeing all these teenagers and what he was going to say to them. And so he went home and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said he normally only ever knelt down to pray when he wanted out of something. And he sensed God say to him, can I just just do it anyway. And so he, he went to this, it was in, held in the local school, he, he went in and delivered his first talk, and he said, I don't think it went particularly well. And uh, he was in another a room with the leaders just afterwards, and, and they were just having a cup of coffee, and there was a knock at the door, and this 14 or 15-year-old boy comes to the door, and one of them opens the door, and, and the young boy says, what must I do to be saved? And he said, come in to the headmaster's office and we'll go in and, and I'll, I'll explain uh, how that relationship starts. And they went into the headmaster's office and there were half a dozen teenagers kneeling on the floor of the headmaster's office and they were crying out to God for mercy. And he said, well, come on into another room. And he went into a classroom and there were 20 young people kneeling, crying out to God for mercy. He went in and eventually brought him into another little room and there were half a dozen it was difficult to find a room where God was not powerfully at work. And so they, they helped those young people discover the forgiveness of Christ and uh, to be filled with the Spirit. And the next morning, early the next morning, Kenny was in, in his house and the, the, the assistant uh, principal of, of the school where the weekend had been held, uh, who was a Christian, came and knocked on his door, and she hadn't been aware of what had happened the night before uh, at the teenager's weekend. Uh, and she came to the door, and she was as white as a sheet. And she said, I, I was just driving past the school this morning. And she said, I heard the voice of God audibly. And all he said was, I have come. So what, why did that happen? It happened, I think, for two reasons. I'm sure there was lots of prayer went in before the whole weekend. But one of the reasons was because Kenny sensed 
that God told him to do something that he felt he was completely empty of doing, that it was totally beyond him. And he said yes, not for his sake, but because God told him to say yes for the sake of other people. God loves to give into emptiness. And he loves to give to us, not primarily for us, but for the sake of other people. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Amazing Grace about the, abo uh, the sort of the abolition of the slave trade of William Wilberforce. I know I've mentioned that a number of times, but I always find it really inspiring. There's a, there's a moment in the film where uh, William Pitt, the Prime Minister, uh, who's a friend of Wilberforce, uh, says to him, basically challenging him to, to seek the abolition of the slave trade. And it, it looks as if everything is against it. It's like going to a friend's house at midnight and, and, and trying to get the guy up to. And, and the Prime Minister Pitt says to Wilberforce, I, I can't stand with you. I can't be seen to be partisan. I can't be seen to stand with you. You would be the only member of parliament who would be doing this you would have over 300 politicians against you. You'd be standing by yourself. But he says to Wilberforce, but you know what? They won't stand a chance. And Wilberforce goes later to see John Newton, the, the hymn writer who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And, and John Newton's uh, mopping the floor of the, of the church. And he tells Wilberforce, he says, Go and do it. Just do it, Wilbur, and blow their dirty, stinking ships out of the water. The fact is that there are so many circumstances in our lives that we will come up against, and it will look and it'll look a new hooper. World poverty, sex trafficking a family member or neighbor who's been told they've got cancer, not having enough money to make ends meet, having children that we feel are going down completely the wrong path. Whatever it happens to be, you and I will frequently be come up against situations where we think, what can be done? What can I do? And the fact is that this is what God specializes in. He specializes in situations where we say, I have nothing to give. And he says, hallelujah, because now we can get started. And he calls us to ask and to receive and to seek and to find and to knock and the door will be opened. And what is it ultimately that we need? What is the answer to everything? And the answer Jesus gives in the last verses of this passage, the Holy Spirit. Because when you have God, you have all that you need. Now, the thing is, you and I may well feel, God, how could you use me? How could you use me with my, with my background or my failures or my sinfulness? There's that wonderful passage of Isaiah in chapter 6 in his book telling us about God calling him. And it's in the year that King Uzziah died. It's like a, 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 a national year of mourning. It would be like if our queen were to die. 
the, I imagine the UK would sort of grind to a halt and there would be widespread mourning. Well, that was like the year that King Isaiah died and the nation was going, we no longer have this king. And Isaiah in the temple receives this vision of God, a vision of the king in his temple and the robe fills the temple. And there are seraphim above him with six wings covering their eyes because God is so glorious and holy, covering their feet because they are too profane for God to see. And with two they're flying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says, I am doomed because I have encountered the Holy One of God. And God sends a seraph to cleanse him with a coal from the altar. And he says, you're cleansed. And then he calls him, who will go for us? Whom will I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. One moment Isaiah is totally aware of his emptiness and not just his emptiness, his past and the dirt in his life and that of his nation. But God meets him and touches him and all of a sudden, Isaiah realizes it's not about him, it's about God. And he says, send me. I, I remember when I was in my teens and for months I went through months of sensing that my life was a mess and God was offering me hope in terms of being a Christian. And for months I wrestled, I said, I could never call myself a Christian. I could never make the grade. I, I would never be able to do it. I'd never be able to keep it up. I would disappoint God. And eventually, thankfully, an older Christian made me realize that's the whole point. Of course you're not good enough. but God is, and he can make you good enough. And what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us is to take his holiness, his right relationship with the Father, and die to give it to us so that we go free. We are the holy ones. Paul calls us the saints of God not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. You and I have been made holy through Jesus Christ, and the Lord by His Spirit is calling us. He's calling each of us, and there are particular passions He's put in our lives. There are things which, which bother us, and they bother us because God's Holy Spirit has made those things bother us. It could be a situation in work where there is injustice or in our community where there is injustice or there's poverty or there's need among children or women or men or older people or younger people. And it bothers us. And what God is waiting for, He's waiting for you and I as the people of God, being made holy by Jesus Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, I don't know what I can do. 
I feel utterly powerless, but I am going to step out into emptiness because I believe in your integrity. I believe that you always show up. I believe that you can provide. And so as I pray for healing for this person, as I share faith with this person, as I encourage this person, as I pray for this person, no matter how, how difficult the situation looks, I know that the gates of hell can never stand against the power of God. And so I'm going to step out into the emptiness, not for my sake, but for the sake of other people. And I'm relying on one thing, the name of Jesus Christ, who is the God and ruler of all, and he is utterly unstoppable. Shall we stand?